Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. What Pais's mindset is really looking at, well, how do we address the grid in terms of not five years out, but 10, 15, 20 years out? Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, happy Thursday, Solar Warriors. Welcome back. I'm super delighted to have you tune in yet again to explore the career and lessons learned from clean energy executives to inspire and inform your own journey and growth. You know, we've been having so much fun with our live broadcasts. Hopefully you've been tuning in to some of the stuff from our recent Midwest Solar Expo and our LinkedIn Lives. But if you're new to Suncast, well, welcome to our tribe. I hope that you'll find this information helps you enter through the side door and bypass some of the hard-won life lessons from our hundreds of guests. Today, we're going to take a little journey down entrepreneur lane. Today's story truly is, instead of an entrepreneurial journey, an entrepreneurial one. What's an entrepreneur? Well, you're going to hear all about that today, but Patrick Lee is an inspiration and an example of how to take a long-standing role in corporate life and create a company out of it. Patrick is the president and CEO of Pice Energy Solutions. He's also the VP of Infrastructure and Technology at Sempra North America Infrastructure. Along the way, we're going to hear from his team, notably Hannah Green, about how they are building a scalable solution to the transition from a one-way centralized grid to a multi-dimensional and directional operating system. An operating system that can piece together the disparate components, apps, and platforms into a scalable and seamless solution. Pies is a solution platform that can operate a renewable platform from microgrids to DER aggregation, sidestepping the manual connection process of an all-too-often hardware-focused industry. How do they do it? You're going to learn that and so much more, so stay tuned. Hey, if you really do love this kind of information, I hope you'll check out the hundreds of additional founder stories and startup advice over at mysuncast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and to our Energy Tribe newsletter so you won't miss the next thing that we drop. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, all right, Solar Warriors, we have, over the course of time, introduced you to founders, leaders, executives, and for the most part, we usually start a show talking about entrepreneurs. In today's episode, we are going to be interviewing what I've termed here and is certainly a pretty common term, intrapreneurship. And I think that we've got a great example of entrepreneurship. Patrick Lee, as I mentioned in the intro, is the co-founder and CEO of Pice Energy Solutions. For those who maybe have never heard of or seen Pice, it's P-X-I-S-E, pronounced Pice. It is a subsidiary of Sempra Energy and has an equity investment by Mitsui and company. Pice offers high-speed advanced control technology for autonomous control of the modern 
power grid. We're going to unpack what that means and how and why a vice president of Simpra with 30 years experience in the energy industry decided to pursue this path of entrepreneurship within a major uh, energy uh, concern like Simpra. Patrick, before we jump into that, I just want to say, hey, and welcome. Thank you for joining us today on Suncast. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be joining your podcast. Patrick, I'm inspired by the depth of technical expertise that you guys have uh, embedded, imbued into the product that you have. But I feel like part of the conversation we're going to have today is a bit of exploring not only what kind of product it is, how and why it exists, but why you and the team that you have are the right team to bring this forward. And as I think through how can we learn more about that, what occurs to me is, you know, you've been in the energy business for three decades. Uh, you've been at Simpra for a long time. You've got a great, great role there. And I wonder if what you're doing now is what your 10-year-old Patrick would have dreamt of, or maybe said a different way. What did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think, I think like most, you know, little kids, yeah, I think, yeah, you dream to be a policeman or a fireman, right? I think along the way, I found myself, you know, quite creative and, you know, I, I used to piece together broken toys to create new toys, you know, because you know, my family wasn't, you know, that affluent back then. And, and so, you know, you have to make do with what you have and creating new things from it. And so along the way, you know, math and physics and chemistry came really easy to me. And then, you know, when I actually went to college, I started as a business degree and actually major in marketing. I spent about three years in business and then I dropped out of school quickly. And because I found a kind of new passion to learn about automotive and, you know, within a very short amount of time, I become a smoke technician and, and auto mechanic, you know, certified and all and, and quite interesting. And then I, you know, one day I wake up, I, I said, I need to go back to school and get my engineering degree in there. Two and a half years later, I got my you know bachelor's science degree in electrical engineering with you know honors and distinction. And so I quickly went to work, and and along the way, I you know did my master's degree too. And so, and along the way, besides the knowledge of electrical engineering and kind of the mechanical side of automotive and emission control and so on, I also built a uh, a small computer company. I wrote software, uh, point of sale software for a restaurant about 25 plus years ago before it became popular today where, you know, you can order things, you know, with, with, with a uh, PDA and, and so on. And so doing computer networking, because I think the opportunity dropping out of school back in the early 80s when, when IBM PC just came out also gave me an, an opportunity to learn a lot more about computing from a hardware standpoint. So... When I combine all that experience, it really gives me kind of a different perspective when I look at things. It never fails. As many times as we've chatted, I still didn't know some of these details. I love how this, the things kind of unfold if given an opportunity. What immediately struck me is that, uh, and I think I actually shared this in the lead-in uh, before we hit record here, I started school as a mechanical engineer and migrated to a uh, business and ultimately got an MBA I don't think I've ever known anyone go from the business school to the engineering school, certainly with a dropout in the middle. I really want to pull a thread here and understand 18, 19 year old Patrick who decided mm, this isn't the path I want to take. And I think the best thing for me to do right now is to go take some time away and just get a trade and start making some money. What drove that decision? 
further, how did you decide smog technician? I mean, that, that seems really specific. Yeah, I, I think a friend of mine was in automotive and, and he asked me, well, am I interested in learning about, you know, how, yeah, you know, I certainly learned how to drive a car and, and then, and then I was interested in, oh, how does it actually work? You know, as most engineers think, right? They they want to know the nuts and bolts about how everything works. And I said, sure. And and he gave me a book. And a week later, I said, hey, I, I totally get it. I understand how a you know internal combustion uh, engine works, and and learn all about that. And he said, well, why don't you go take some exams? You know, and without experience, I I passed the exam. I passed the state exam to be a smoke technician. <laughs> so after I got the certification, he said, why don't you come work, come to work for me? Because now you're certified. And that's, wow. I really got certified before I learned how to work on cars and, and inspect cars. So did you do this while you sort of moonlighting while you were a student and you started to realize, oh, I could actually go do this thing that would, that would be a skill and I could make money instead of sitting here in school? Right. I, I think that's about the same time. And also, you know, got married when I was really young, you know, I was 21 years old and then got married. And so I thought, well, I really need to feed the family. So let me just, you know, got off business school. And gotcha. work for a while and get some experience. And that's how it ended up. Yeah. I mean, it's abundantly clear to me you're a tinkerer. You're someone who likes to undo and redo and rebuild in a better way or a more convenient or useful way. You know, it's a pretty telltale sign of an entrepreneur that while having, you know, sort of one path decided to go and do another path, we just discussed the smog technician. Obviously, while working in automotive, you then, I presume nights and weekends, came up with this idea and started a company doing software for restaurants. It's giving me a great insight, frankly, into how you see the world. There are probably a, a ton of stories we could talk about just around starting software for a restaurant. We might save that for another conversation. I wonder, were there other entrepreneurial influences in your life? Maybe someone you looked up to or respected as a model of that in your life up to that point? I would say my mother is actually a very smart person, but she had never gone to school because, you know, my mom was from, from China and, you know, she married my dad and, you know, basically grew up in a farm. And so I learned a lot of things from her from, you know, even though I was going to high school and I knew a lot more than I, you know, compared to her because she's never been educated, but she knew a lot of how to do things by just talking to people and learning. And I think... I'm, you know, I was inspired really by my mother on even without the right, I would say, formal education, she can figure things out. And I think that's really given me a lot of spirits in terms of, okay, I think I can make things just by, you know, learning and then creating. As I was looking over sort of the career path that you have put together for yourself all around power in some way or other as an electrical engineer, I see that you spent some time up in, in Northern California and SMUD and city of Roseville, and then eventually made your way down to Southern California, where of course you've been for what seems quite some time now. Was there a clear moment in time or out, a, a certain influence that led you to look at the power industry specifically and, and, and in particular on the utility side versus other ways that you could participate in the power industry? Originally, I was in, more interested in telecommunication in terms of wireless communication. And uh, I think at the time, you know, the, the type of job available was very limited in terms of working for governments and stuff like that. And so I would, wanted to pick something that is u universally applicable around the world. And so instead of picking telecommunication engineering, I, I selected power engineering because I feel that 
I think I can make a difference in the world because now this skill set can be applicable anywhere. And so along the way, I, you know, once I started, you know, school on that, I really find, find my passion for it. Patrick, as I look at the, the flow of your career working in power management and at various utilities, you worked in the California power market around the same time as contemporaries like Dan Sugar, who was at Pacific Gas and Electric. And, you know, it was that 80, late 80s uh, through the 90s where renewables really began to take hold as an idea, a concept that had potential to build into something that utilities could leverage in some way or other. But it was still, as we've heard in other interviews, kind of marginalized. I wonder how clean energy or renewables as a as a category first entered into kind of the work world for you and when you had the sense that, that it was going to become a bigger part of your work. Yeah. So more than 10 years ago, when, when I first joined uh, another business unit within Semper Energy called Semper Generation, and I was involved in building the the first you know ten megawatts of solar PV, the largest uh, thin-film technology at the time of of a utility-scale solar power plant at the time, and I think we set a goal to build five hundred megawatts of solar within a few years, and and you know ultimately achieve that, and that's when we really realized that yeah, it has a path, right? Given the regulatory support and and you know some of the subsidies that are available, we really see you know there is a a desire for many leaders in the world, you know, pushing for more adoption of renewable. And so now we're actually practicing and, and you know, I have to organize, you know, our uh, scheduler to actually bring in importing 10 megawatts of solar power into California, which is the first at the time to figure out how do we actually provide a forecast to, to the ISO and, and, and to our customer. So that was quite interesting when we see that. We definitely see that there's an opportunity to grow much larger in that space. And so you were hands-on working inside Sempra as an engineer on these projects as solar uh, in the sort of the aughts and into the early to the 2010s was gaining momentum. Is that right? Yeah, I was more on the um, on the business contract side to to actually, but I get involved into understanding the the output, because in order to sell the and schedule the power to the customer, I have to understand the production capability and, you know, degradation of the system from a contracting standpoint to make sure, you know, we can actually enable the electron to flow financially, right? So sometimes I tell people that, you know, not only I know how to make sure electron flow physically from, you know, the source to, to the end use, but I think that also gave me an opportunity through the contracting side, learning how Electron can move financially from one point to another. You know, you're a classically trained engineer, but also have this entrepreneurial bent. And, and I wonder, did the contracting side of the business come easily to you? Did you, did you get an MBA? I can't recall. Uh, you know, how, how did you begin to think about wrapping the sort of the engineering mindset around the way that, as you said, the dollars flow? That's, off, that's often a, a, a difficult bridged cross for folks, you know, there's a, there's a category of obviously engineers that go after the MBA degree and they get into management, but nonetheless, I'm curious how you transition that to that role. Yeah. So, so I actually gone deeper into engineering and, and got my master's degree in, in, in power engineering as well when I was working, you know, in, in Northern California. And so along the way, 
as I told you before, I I need to learn what I what it takes. You know, it's not about the piece of paper on the wall telling you you know what you know. As opposed to if you you really interested in learning something and being an expert on it. You know, many people become an expert without formal educations. And so, I knew I have to learn financial and and contracting capability. So when I you know took on a job in in Semper Generation. You know, I was responsible to buy a billion dollar of gas and and turning them into electricity. You know, through the power plants, and so you know that was a pretty big responsibility at the at the time. So I have to learn quickly overnight in a way. So every day is reading a few hundred pages of paper to figure out you know how this business really worked, right? And so those are really hardcore learning that you have to spend time on. But you know, those are you know, things that you have to do, right? So I, th- I think I learned it along the way as needed, as opposed to, you know, I, I, you know, I go to get an MBA degree, right? I always wanted to do an MBA degree, just never. I'm so busy innovating mm-hmm. and, and working mm-hmm. and delivering results. It's really hard to find time to do it. It's amazing. You moved into a role where your, role, where your job was buying a billion dollars in nat gas and turning it into contracts. That, that itself is, in many ways, someone's sort of dream the, like the the goal at the end of the rainbow, right, of, of a career is to get to a place where you are um, managing a team and managing a, a contract pipeline like that. My sense, uh, given where I know you are now, is that you always have a penchant for identifying the broken parts and putting, trying to put them back together better. Can you give me an idea of when that, that entrepreneurial bug began to sort of peak during the, you know, over the course of the last decade and why? with a comfortable management role in a company like Sempra, you decided to pursue, you know, fixing harder problems and that, which ultimately led to you kind of creating this company. I guess I'm, I'm curious how that, that idea sparked for you and ultimately led to a, another turn in your career. Yeah. I think, I, I think part of that is really understanding, you know, having an eye for looking for a solution for the biggest challenges that you can actually actually get your hands on and, and finding the right, you know, people together to, to solve it. Because I think individually, by, you know, by yourself, you're limited by your own knowledge, right? So I think the ability of an innovator is really look at, you know, bringing other people's capability and piecing it together and complement it so that now you can totally address a challenge. So, so along the way, as I was going through uh, working through Semper Generation, and then you know moving on to build you know a 1.8 billion dollar transmission line, also to enable higher percentage renewable you know delivery in, into you know Southern California, and so all that are all tied together and looking at well what are the limitation, and then realizing that you know the power grid not just in North America, but around the world has a limitation of integrating percentage of renewable because of intermittency issue. And also when it become more distributed in a two-way grid, it become a really complex problem. Along the way, we looked at, well, how do we actually solve that problem when we uh, saw, for example, wind energy get, getting curtailed at night, or we seeing news about uh, solar rooftop moratorium in residential area. People can't do it anymore because the grid couldn't handle it, right? So at the time, we saw that as a huge challenge. And so when when a few you know my friends got together, and they have different capabilities in terms of either control system 
or software background, we decided that, hey, let's get together and be able to um, make a difference. And I think what what's really important is the recognition of the control system that we have in the power grid today that, that are operating is really not meant and designed for the modern grid we have today because that was adopted hundreds of years ago. We can never switch out of that old control system. And so we hit a lot of limits in terms of integrating renewable with that old system. And so we looked at, well, what is a system that is designed Let's build one that is designed for the modern grid today. And that's how Pi's idea came about as building a system solution as an operating system for the power grid. For those who maybe are unfamiliar, maybe they're listening to this and they've worked at a big company. Could you characterize where the thinking on what Pi's ultimately becomes, uh, where it started or how, you know, was this something you were talking about with other folks in the office during your lunch hour? Was it a specific project that you had to work on and you backwards sort of had to back into how to address the, as you said, the, these challenges to the modern grid? And, and so you were, you have the, in your role, you have the luxury of sitting and having deep thinking on fixing this problem. I'm really curious, as someone who's working for a corporation, you go from managing one particular sort of operation or role into innovating in that role and then presenting that idea to the corporation saying, I think this could be its own thing that we, that we should consider building. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. It really started, you know, I was, I was actually a, a vice president of, uh, you know, major project control for Semper Corporation, you know, managing, you know, large projects around the world that, that Semper owns and supporting, making sure a project get delivery on time. During that time, you know, I, I had, at lunch, I, I had a catch-up lunch with an old friend who's also the co-inventor of PICE, uh, you know, Dr. Chuck Wells. And, and we're supposed to catch up on, you know, he moved to San Diego. And, and, and so I just moved back to San Diego. We're trying to figure out, okay, you know, let's catch up on the last 10 years. And you know, we kind of, you know, see people on and off. And so this one-hour lunch turned into two hours. And then after I have looked at some of the, the patents that, you know, Dr. Chuck Wells has got an award on, Initially, we were thinking about, well, we can actually use this technology to create uh, smaller microgrids by combining renewable energy with traditional fossil generation to make a mix to, to run in distributed grid or a microgrid. And so we begin to work on it one day a week, kind of part-time, and then finding out that this technology is actually much broader than a microgrid application. And so after a month, we decided that we need to have a joint technology agreement. So we, we actually work with OSI Soft and, and Semper to create this joint development of, of this technology to figure out how far can we take this in terms of grid operation. And I think from there, it really, it really evolved from looking at just, I would say, a handful of diverse resources in control, much bigger and bigger networks, and then building kind of one solution set at a time and eventually, I would say, evolve into a large uh, operating system that have multiple modules in it. Patrick, we're going to spend some time addressing and probably coming back to maybe a definition or a redefinition of the problem that you're solving. But thinking along the lines and maybe to wrap up this notion of like, what does it mean to be an entrepreneur within a bigger company who has an idea and gets it funded? I wonder what tools from your previous roles 
have helped you now as an entrepreneur and a leader? I mean, specifically, I'm thinking about maybe mental models or management tools that you employ kind of manage standing up of PICE within the organization. Yeah, I think from that perspective, you have to, you know, as an entrepreneur inside a large corporation, I think most people talk about, you know, the culture, you know, it's innovation for breakfast, right? I think in a large corporation, oftentimes, you know, there's more naysayer than anything else. But I think I'm very fortunate to work in a company where uh, innovation is always, you know, I would say, given a lot of room. So many of our business unit, you know, there's many innovation in the operating area that's known in the industry, right? So I think when we came up with new ideas, I think, I think there's a couple elements that are important. One is if you have built up trust in the organization that you, know, you are a uh, technology-focused person and you're innovative, you have a track record, I think that gives you a better opportunity to convince other people to go down the path a little further with you to be able to show them, hey, what can you really do with a new idea? I think the ability to have, you know, besides trust and some resources and the connection that you make with other people, because you can't do it everything on your own, right? So if you can borrow times part-time from other people to help you to be able to show some results that can actually bring people to that point to say, look, you know, we can actually create something here and once you demonstrated that, I think people will want to go with you further down the path. So that's how we took it, you know, from first creating a prototype, then piloting it in the field, mm-hmm. then getting, you know, people convinced that this technology really works. Yeah. And now let's, let's create a business. It's easy in, in some ways to look back, hindsight's twenty twenty. of like, oh, this makes perfect sense. But there must have been a bunch of moments where it didn't make perfect sense and you weren't so clear on how you were going to build consensus. I love what you said about being fortunate to work at a company that that sort of you know, supports uh, innovation, and you want to borrow other people's ideas and time to build consensus. Was there already existing a forum within Sempra that gave you an opportunity on a regular basis to present ideas? And then I'm also curious around that track record. What's required internally to be able to enter into that forum with the respect and right to propose these new ideas? I think oftentimes, you know, we don't follow a rigid process of, you know, driving ideas and innovation in another in company. But I think most of the leaders in, in Sempra are very open to listening to ideas and assessing, you know, the opportunities. I think that openness is really important, right? Because if you can't even open the door, you know, and, and, and getting the right people to listen in, that is probably the, the first challenge that most, well, you know, entrepreneurship fail because of that. I think able to listen really help us to to getting maybe the first step, you know, getting the, the funding or getting the support that we need to get started. I, I talk about, you know, building the trust, right? I think having good trust already in the organization is really important because if people know that are you doing it just for a monetary reason or are you doing it, you know, really trying to solve a real problem in the world, right? I think once people understand your, your motivation and your objectives, I think they are very, very supportive once they kind of join your bandwagon, knowing that, you know, you have a greater cost to, to serve. You know, every commercial solar opportunity counts. So why lose that sale to high demand charges? 
Did you know that you can offer up to 30% in demand charge savings at a tenth of the cost of installing a battery? With DemandX, the innovative new demand charge reduction software from Extensible Energy, your client can boost ROI and reduce payback time without all the expense. And as a Suncast listener, you can get a free demand charge analysis by going to extensibleenergy.com forward slash Suncast. And while you're there, check out three recent case studies on how this easy-to-install software is a win-win for you and your commercial solar clients. DemandX works for office buildings, retail, churches, and more. See for yourself at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. This episode is also brought to you by Adani Solar USA, a fully integrated renewables company from solar sale and module manufacturing to project ownership and operation. Adani has an impressive operating and contracted pipeline of over 14 gigawatts of solar energy projects and recently received the largest solar award ever of eight gigawatts. It's mind-blowing. And it includes a single site project of two gigawatts, which itself is tied for the world's largest. No one knows mega scale projects like Adani. If you'd like to work with Adani, go to mysuncast.com forward slash Adani, A-D-A-N-I, and fill out the information request form and we'll put you in touch with their local team. Noting that most products make their way into the world vis-a-vis a pilot project, and based on the commentary here, I presume there were a plethora of problems to solve. There were a number of projects where you began to identify things are broken and there's got to be a better way. We have the example of the lunch with Dr. Chuckwell as that spark of a moment. I'd love to hear your maybe you know elevator pitch of what the actual problem is that needed to be solved. As you had said before, this modern grid, in a sense, it seems like it couldn't accept renewables in the way that it was able to accept more firm power or maybe there's some other derivation of that. Would you give me that that explanation of what the problem is that you ultimately seek to solve? I would think about the transition of our modern grid, right, from a more centralized grid to a more distributed grid. So we always talk about, you know, the, the three Ds, right? The decentralization, the decarbonization, and sometimes talk about digitization. And so we look at the modern grid that we're evolving to, where we have many, many individual prosumers, people that actually produce power as well as consuming power, like a commercial, residential, industrial location. Now, you would have a very, very complex grid because of enabling electric vehicle integration and enabling solar rooftop, right? And now in order to manage that, and it's a fairly complex system that's dynamically changing all day. And so you need something very different to be able to be, one, be more intelligent and two, have the speed of response, also have the system view to look at all the moving parts within this modern grid to be able to look at when something changes here, it also affects somewhere else. How do you address it simultaneously? Uh, Unlike a lot of the solution provided today are focusing on one thing, maybe they think about a virtual power plant. Maybe they think about aggregating a number of resources or doing the demand response. So they're solving a, a chunk of the problem as opposed to PICE looking at more from a system view to look at. How do we actually address all of that? How do we work with VPP and aggregator and DERs that are behind the meter? And how do we actually integrate utility 
assets into one big system so that they can all work together well. So that's the problem that we're really trying to solve to address that transition. Because if we can handle this in the mitten, unpredictable flow in the modern grid, we cannot adopt more renewable energy. So the purpose is more than just, oh, we can adopt more renewable energy. The purpose is also to enable the consumer is transitioning to more a consumer participating in a more sharing economy kind of concept and enabling the transition on adoption of electric vehicle as well. So it meets really multiple objectives at the same time. It's really truly enabling this two-way unpredictable grid operation. You've said to me previously, PICE opens the market for more participants as an enabler and creates more flexibility, as you pointed to this ability to create a two-way flow of energy. And that the challenge with the current utilities is that traditional technology hits a roadblock. And when PICE deploys, they have a higher capacity for intermittency and other elements. As I recall, you couched this as two challenges, resource dispatch and network flow. Can you expound on that as a model or an understanding of what the PICE product is helping utilities control better? So I think in the traditional sense, in, in a centralized power grid, we primarily separate the system into generation, transmission, and distribution. So in a traditional power system, we only control the generation resources so that it has a gravity flow through the transmission and distribution network down to the end use, right? So generally, the network management in terms of delivery is managed by one technology. The generation dispatch is also managed by another separate supply and demand matching technology. So sometimes it's involved operating center, right? And, and utility operation in a way, you can think about you know these two major control points, whether it be balancing supply and demand or managing the delivery, making sure the line doesn't burn down or the voltage quality is good to make sure it gets to the end user in terms of delivering these electrons. And so these two separate problems traditionally are handled, I, I would say, independently. And they're, they're somewhat coordinated, but, but loosely co- coordinated. Now, when you switch over to a a localized grid, when you have thousands and thousands of DERs integrated and many EV connected, and then you have battery system also deployed. Now, when you now beginning to adjust the resources, supply and demand, because you're in a localized area where you have two-way power flow that can occur based on where people are charging, where the solar integrated and so you have two problems needs to be addressed at the same time now that we used to do it separate. So now when you dispatch the ERs, you have to now, because of the location that you dispatch to DER, create some flow problem locally. So now you also have to manage the network's flow and quality at the same time. So now before we do address these control problems separately, Now we have to do it all in an integrated fashion because everything that you touch within this two-way grid network with a lot of unpredictable in terms of location where the EVs are connected or or unpredictability of when is the the sun going to show up today and when's the clouds going to come through, right? So that really created a very dynamic situation where, where you really have to figure out 
okay, how do I adjust that real-time conditions? You mentioned a term that I want to make sure folks understand. That's DERs. Essentially, it's distributed energy resources. Do you have like an elevator pitch explanation of DERs for those who maybe this is the first time they're hearing it? When I refer to DER, it really represents distributed energy resources. In a traditional sense, people think of a large power plant, just a centralized power plant. I would consider a large power plant as another distributed resources. When we talk about distributed energy resources, we didn't say type sizes, right, or types and capacity. And so we basically refer to any generation resources, large to small, we consider as a distributed energy resources today. And in the solar, since a lot of folks think of DER and they, they maybe confuse it with distributed generation or on-site generation or behind the meter generation. So I think it's important for those maybe who are coming from the other end of the spectrum, maybe they've only ever dealt with residential solar to really see through the utility lens here, because I've come to learn that utilities use terms that we might use, but they use them differently, right? So like distributed generation for next era is anything under 20 megawatts. We often in the CNI space don't consider 20 megawatts DG. We consider it utility scale. So I think it's important for that disambiguation. I just want to make sure that we covered that. And I appreciate that, that explanation. My understanding then is effectively the product that sparked your idea around how to better manage these DERs is an operating system of sorts. It's effectively software. Is that accurate? Yes. You know, earlier we talked about more from a, from a system architecture standpoint to talk about how, how should these resources, you know, should be operated. And first, you have to have a technology that can actually support this two-way highest speed of operation. Because when you have a complex system that's dynamic, you cannot respond to it in minutes and even seconds. Mm -hmm. You have to get down to a sub-second control because when the clouds come through, you, your solar production drops significantly in less than a second. And so if you don't do anything about it, you know, you affect the, the voltage quality or the power quality of the area. I think one of the differentiation we have is to leveraging uh, what we call a, a high-speed sensor technology today that's, that's time-synchronized called phase measurement. And that provided the, I would say, the technology building block to be able to have a full spectrum of control from a macro level that take minutes to second and take it all the way down to sub-second responses. On top of that, we also look at, well, how do you actually address the scalability issue? How do you deploy system around the world in large and small grids? Because when we look at the market today, most of the solutions are semi-hardware, semi-software. You know, you mentioned OSISoft a couple of times here, and I got to say, from my limited knowledge and, and exposure to like the way that utilities run the grid, the company that I know the best is OSISoft. They're effectively the kind of like the operating system of the grid as far as I'm concerned. So therefore, it seems to me like if you're creating a software system that's an operating system, in some way, you're a competitor with OSISoft, which leads me to ask the question, how does that work that you guys are working together and who do you consider to be peers and competitors? And then maybe even, it sounds like you're working with OSISoft. Like what's your IP versus their IP? How, how do you manage that relationship? So OSISoft is actually, you know, not a competitor to PICE. You know, we actually, you know, partners together. And so when we first developed the technology together, they brought in an existing IP that they have. 
in the area of phase measurement, which is a high-speed sensor technology that was created in the 80s. The inventor, Dr. Chuck Well, was able to adopt that invention to apply it for high-speed control technology. So up till this point now, you know, we have about 11 U.S. patents that are awarded, you know, for this technology. And so, you know, just in the last three years, we, you know, we got four U.S. patents awarded on that. And so OSIsoft is really a very well-implemented technology in many utilities from generation to transmission to distribution, in order, including other industry like paper, chemical, and, and everything. So they are very well-known, I would say, a data platform. PICE is actually, after the co-development of the technology, made an agreement to embed the OSI soft data platform inside our technology to handle the data storage as well as the interfaces to other inputs and output sources of, of information. And so you can imagine that if I'm the, the control system and, and I'm computer control system, they are like the, the Intel chip inside you know, that are providing the horsepower in terms of processing, data processing. And we are the application layer that has the intelligence to handle the information input output and making things happen externally. Patrick, I love that illustration of how OSIsoft is the Intel inside and PICE is really the operating system overlaying that chipset. It helped me understand the data platform aspect of OSIsoft. And kind of like all good stories, one of the things that I don't think I really understood until now was the influence of Dr. Chuckwell as a sort of lifelong inventor who's been working alongside many companies, OSIsoft being one, to help develop this phaser technology. So my understanding is back now to that lunch where you met with this longtime friend, I, I think I now understand the meeting of the minds that said, hey, this work that we've done over at OSIsoft and the problems that you're trying to solve at Sempra have a natural fit. And, and that's what basically birthed the PICE architecture. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I think you look at Dr. Chuck Wells' background, he was a electrical engineer and PhD in electrical engineering, but he spent many years in, in control systems and we differentiate control system very different than how power system uh, operated today, more on based on event-driven activities. And so the ability to combine his background of control engineering, along with, since he, he worked for OSIsoft at the time, and also bring in software perspective. And when we combine power system operation knowledge, the, the three of these perspective really help to piece together what come about to PICE in terms of the combined enabling technology to enable us to do the things that, you know, in terms of balancing supply and demand quickly and mm -hmm. the intelligence and the feedback control. And, and sometimes people refer to kind of the artificial intelligence, intelligence that we build into the software. I'd like to take an aside here and introduce a team member of Patrick Hannah Green, who is the head of commercial development. So I have a few questions that I want to really dig into on the commercial side. And given that that's her role, I wanted you as a listener to really get a chance to hear more than sort of the founder's story here. So with that, I'll bring in the voice of Hannah. And Hannah, I want to understand, given what we've been discussing with Patrick about the capability of this technology 
for those who may be trying to put you in a niche in the market and they're thinking, well, are you STEM or, or GE? Who do you see as your customer? Thanks, Nico. Pice's position really as a platform technology and as that new grid operating system, it's given us a tremendous latitude to work globally, as well as to work at different scales of the grid. You know, as Patrick has mentioned, we're able to support projects to help integrate and control renewables at a very large scale, and that's our power plant control work. We're also able to help integrate renewable energy, distributed resources, um, and overall kind of power flow across the distribution grid. We do that through our distributed energy resource management system, or DERMS, as we've all decided Mm -hmm. to call it in the industry. And then we're also able to go down to the more contained site level. Um, And those are our microgrids. And we have microgrids from below a megawatt at a smaller building level, all the way up to 11 megawatts, um, really, you know, larger scale microgrids that can support a whole community. We're, I think, very fortunate to have a, a really flexible platform technology that enables the integration and supports many different types of generation. You know, we're, we're not in the business of selling solar or, or battery storage or, or fuel cells or any of those individual pieces of the puzzle. We're in the business of enabling them. And, and that technology neutral platform you know, really helps us to work in different regulatory environments in different countries. So when you ask about our customers, we're working in in the U.S. and in Japan, in Australia, and we see some opportunities elsewhere in the globe. And in Europe, we've had some projects in South Korea as well. And we're able to to do that because of that flexibility. I would say our top customers and, and the folks who we come from from a utility background, many of our team has helped to integrate renewable energy into utility grids and worked on on really leading edge projects in that space. So we do like to say that we're, you know, kind of built for operators by operators. And that's where that that technology, you know, experience shines through. So utilities are are a key customer of ours, um, but we also work for governments. Uh, we have some campus microgrids and we do some large power plant control for um, renewable and, and storage developers. A lot of folks that may be listening are working at residential or maybe CNI scale, probably uh, some folks that are doing utility development. How would you encourage someone to think about how PICE fits within their offering? We're really a partner-driven organization. I think part of that is is cultural. It's that element of building something bigger together um, that I, I think you you hear from Patrick, but is really shared by everybody on our team. It's also practical. Uh, good projects don't get done alone. And I think anybody who's worked, you know, whether it's residential or CNI or utility side of our our space knows that it's an ecosystem and that you really have to have strong partnerships to get work done. Um, so I, I would think about PICE as a technology enabling partner. We want to make these systems work together for an overall more efficient and resilient grid. And so that means that we work to integrate you know, VPPs and aggregators to, to help integrate their DER solutions into an overall grid management system. We have a DERMS capability to connect actually down to the customer level and, and interact with, with their devices. Um, so for those working in the residential side, we're not in the, in the business of, of your business. We're in the business of helping to increase renewable energy hosting capacity and bring those together for an overall, you know, more positive grid, grid outcome. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. You used the terminology that some will be familiar with VPP, virtual power plants. I want to make sure we clarify that. And my understanding is that over the last uh, several months, maybe six plus months, you guys have rolled out actually this technology in about 500 megawatts of products so far. Is that accurate? That is accurate. We've really, you know, come to market and, and grown up as a company in in the last few years at a time when you know the whole power systems industry is going through tremendous change. We see in Japan that they're going through deregulation, which introduces new business opportunities for them and and how they're reshaping their their power markets and their grid. Australia has been certainly a, a world leader in helping to uh, support and enable more renewable and distributed resources. And we pay close attention to to the work that they're leading through the open energy networks process, which has facilitated um, a, a lot of this work. We certainly have been very active in, in California and in places on the East Coast of the U.S. that, that have really um, stepped up and, and helped to drive this change. And overall, I would say in, in any of the markets where we're working, there's that call for more grid flexibility and systems that can enable more dynamism. Um, so we, we've been, I think, fortunate to align with that um, and to find fellow travelers who are trying to make this happen across the industry. I wonder, Patrick has used in, uh, at least in previous conversations, if not in this interview, the notion of the sharing economy of energy and this idea of bidirectional energy and managing the complications therein, the flow and the quality. How do customers optimize their ROI in this sharing economy of energy? I'm sitting on that, Nico, because often that customer interface, if we're thinking about the residential level, often they're going to have that interface with with somebody who's not PICE. You know, we're going to be behind the scenes helping enable it all, all together. If it's an individual residential household, um, you're probably going to keep working with that residential solar contractor. And it would be our hope that PICE is, is helping to enable your system, as well as all of those in the neighborhood or in the region, to work well together so that more systems can be interconnected and fully optimized for more efficient outcomes. On the campus level and for our microgrids, we do um, optimize for financial outcomes and we can interface with existing you know, markets if there are markets to be bid into. But we certainly also optimize those systems um, to help support you know, as much renewable or on-site generation usage as possible and to reduce the overall bills. That was Hannah Green, head of commercial development for PICE. Patrick, back to you. I have a question around building out the team. What kind of people do you look to hire for PICE? Are there any common characteristics or traits? Yeah, I would say, you know, oftentimes when you build a team, you look at, you know, what complements each other, right? I think we have very capable employee in uh, the control environment in terms of control technology, knowledge of, you know, deep knowledge in that. And then we have software uh, developers and, and people know a lot about software development. We also, you know, have very strong power system engineering uh, knowledge in the team. And also, you know, I would say from a business development, commercial development, you know, also building up the strength for that. But when you look at the, I would say the cultural fit, you know, we look for people, you know, that have, I would say, some similar entrepreneurial spirit in terms of wanting to create something to address a challenge of the grid. And I think I think everyone really connect with you know, what our software is able to enable, you know, not just the in terms of integration of renewable, but also I think earlier you talk about, you know, working with other partners. Our solution really enable other partners to accelerate in terms of adoption, because if we are able to 
help the grid to integrate higher percentage of renewable. I think Hannah mentioned uh, higher hosting capacity. What that means is more renewable can be connected in a in a local area that directly drive higher adoption or business for solar developers and for energy storage developers that are actually implementing those solutions. So I think you know, our ability as an operating system really enable other businesses as well. So I think we create not just a win-win for, let's say, business people from a consumer standpoint, because our software enable better integration, more efficient use of renewable adding to the existing asset of the grid, it really provides an overall effectiveness that have consumer and use benefits. So we see that as a win-win-win overall from the environmental standpoint to the consumer standpoint. So we feel really good about that. And so the employee that we generally connect with PICE are really either they are very self-sufficient in their own world in terms of capability. Uh, at the same time, they really connect with the cost that we are, the mission, the vision that we're driving in, in helping the grids around the world to not only be more clean, but also more efficiently operated. Yeah, and I'm glad that you touched on that point. There are so many different ways uh, that we could take a conversation, and I am, I'm definitely want to be remiss to have mentioned or to have forgotten to mention the way that, as you said, the PICE technology overlaying a, a grid at any scale increases that grid's threshold effectively, opening that market for participants as an enabler and creating the flexibility that we've been discussing. Folks who are familiar with uh, markets like Hawaii, where they are reaching nodal capacity, uh, I presume uh, those are the types of markets and increasingly uh, everywhere as, uh, as renewable and DERs are ever expanding. This is the kind of approach that we need to take. And for me, it comes back to the the essential question that you sought, sought to answer, which is we're seeing these uh, you know, century-old grids that used to work in two sort of capacities now having to overlay one another, and, and that is creating a limitation to integration of increased uh, DERs and renewables. Is, is that an accurate summary? Yes, I think that's very accurate. I think uh, you know, we, we really help utility to look at how to transition from where they're at today, giving them a path forward. I think we talk about utility as our primary customers. I think surely they are. We also see that we are enabling you know, other people that are involved in, in, in the energy grid. So it's really not just limited to ahead of the meter, but also behind the meter. I wonder, Patrick, as uh, we turn towards home base here, would you have any particular advice as you were describing that cultural fit and the types of roles that you look to hire any advice for fellow entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, or perhaps even those seeking to get into the industry? You first have to start with the passion, right? I think oftentimes, you know, it's, it's long hours of work. I think, I think the key is finding the right people and then also looking at the right problem to solve. I think along mm -hmm. the way is really figuring how, you know, I think the technology side, you know, there's many technology out there. I think the key is piecing the right technology together and then understanding the challenges that you're trying to solve and make sure there's scalability in it. Of course, there are many good ideas, but you need to know that the idea, someone could actually use it and would buy it. I think that's the hard part of, of you, know, you know, joining a team, not knowing you know, where a technology and idea can go, right? I think 
many entrepreneurs really need to spend a little bit more time in understanding, you know, the space that they're in and, you know, whether those great ideas really, you know, have any room to grow or applications and how broad they are. So my advice is really talk to many people. You, you really have to have the tenacity, you know, to try many things. You know, it's okay to have many iterations. It's, it's okay to fail many times because I think the passion will drive you to a point where you'll have better visibility at different point in your career path or in the journey that you're on to find out, oh, okay, you, you have now new visibility of new things that, that are in front of you. Because oftentimes you innovate in one, down one path. You thought that was the path that you're in. Just like initially when we look at, oh, maybe it's a microgrid solution that we're trying to build. And eventually it really evolved and blossomed into more of a grid operating system like PICE today, you know, having a, I would say, a platform of solution that addresses many different things. I would say have the passion, have the drive and, you know, work with great people around you. And that's the key to success. Surround yourself with the right people kind of harks back to the, the business great book that is uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. He says, get the right people on the bus and they'll help you decide the right problem to solve. Like Good to Great and uh, Jim Collins, I believe that leaders are readers, Patrick. And I wonder if there are any particular books that have made an impact on the way you see the world or the way you think about leadership. And perhaps even it's a book that you gift often. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So, so I, I do read to learn about, you know, entrepreneurship. And I think I, I do like Peter Drucker's, you know, entrepreneurship, you know, books and, and also, you know, maybe books from uh, Tony Siva or from Clayton Christensen. Uh, you know, those are all good, you know, writers about, you know, technology and, and entrepreneurship. So, you know, I would, I would start with those. I think th those will give you good insights into the, into the, the world of innovation and entrepreneurship. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, we've we've lost an icon in, in Clayton Christensen for sure, The Innovator's Dilemma. And I love the the way that so much of your dialogue, Patrick, comes back to this idea of innovation. And I think that, frankly, that might be the gem of this dialogue is that to to be an entrepreneur in a larger organization, you have to be innovation-minded. You have to be constantly questioning the status quo and thinking about thinking about ways to change what's working uh, so that it works better or ways to fix things that are broken. I wonder, as we reflect on that, is there anything particular about your day-to-day -day habits or consistent practices that you feel has had a great impact on the way that you show up for work and life? Yeah, I would say you always have to think about how to improve something, right? I think this continuous improvement mindset not only drive you for incremental improvement, but it also drives you to look for the transformational improvement that could come about. Because if you don't look for it, you'll never find it, right? I always use the example, you know, when I talk to people, you know, if you were to, you know, drive from home to work, uh, how many red cars do you notice when you drive from home to work? Most people say, I have no idea because you didn't look for it, right? So mm -hmm. if you start counting, you'll, you'll actually find out, right? I mean, that's the whole mindset of, you know, if you never had thought about innovation and never thought about I'm looking for some solution to address a multitude of problems, you'll never find it even when the solution is right in, right in front of you. So you, you got to look for it. Well, Patrick, I do feel like 
I could prime you with these kinds of questions all day, but I want to be, I want to respect your time and, and that of those who've given their time to, to tune in and hear our conversation. If folks wanted to learn more or even to connect with you, would you give us a few resources and ways that they could do that? Yeah, I would say, you know, go to our website, you know, www.pice.com. I think that's a good starting point to learn about our technology as well. We have, you know, we have some information about myself and some of the co-inventors in the team. And so that's a good place to start. Mm -hmm, Fantastic. And we'll, of course, link to your LinkedIn uh, account and that of Hannah as well for folks that want to uh, perhaps try to connect. And for those of you who have never seen it before, Pice is spelled P-X-I-S-E. So that's P-X-I-S-E dot com. And you should go check out their brand new, beautiful website where you can learn more about their technology. Well, let's end today, as we always do, Patrick, with a bold prediction. What one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? Yeah, I'm thinking the, you know, today people are really only looking at more incremental integration and how the grid will work in the next few years. I think we really have to look further than that. And I think what Pice's mindset is really looking at, well, how do we address the grid in terms of not five years out, but 10, 15, 20 years out? So I think when you adopt a technology, you really have to pay attention to, well, do I adopt something that only solves the problem today? Does it have the flexibility and adaptability to address the problem tomorrow? I think those are very important questions to ask. And so draw a parallel to that is to think about, well, in most of the things we do in life today, we focus on what's in front of us. I'm just solving one problem at a time, as opposed to looking at a system of issue and trying to address them simultaneously. I think those are a very important mindset as we switch over to a more complex world. When you have many, many information available at the same time, and so ability to digest that and and take action is much more difficult. And that's the whole reason of adopting technology that are more autonomous to help you to to make it easier in terms of using your human decision capability uh, augmented by these autonomous tools that will provide you the actionable things that, that, that will help you to have an easier life or easier effect in what you do in the world today. Patrick, I thank you for that. And as we do as a society adopt autonomous technology to help augment our human intuition, we'll certainly be talking about it and exploring it more in depth here on Suncast. We've been listening to Patrick Lee, the co-founder and CEO of Pice Energy Solutions. Thank you so much for taking your time to be with us today, Patrick. All right, Warriors, I hope that you're more prepared than ever to take on the energy transition with renewed vigor, strength, insight, and tactical advice. If you fashion yourself more as an entrepreneur, then I know you got a ton of value out of the discussion with Patrick and his team today. My mind is reeling with possibilities as I think about all the ways that I can put his practical advice to work, not just in my business, but my clients as well. And I'd love to hear from you about your takeaways. We always do post these episodes to LinkedIn. So a simple comment in that post would really be amazing. And hey, if you share it, I'm both humbled and honored. And if you're eager to keep learning, well, then you, my fellow Philomath, can find the resources and highlights from this and every discussion on Suncast, along with social media links, 
book recommendations, and so much more at mysuncast.com. Hey, while you're there, won't you take a couple of minutes to give us your feedback in our listener survey? It really helps us dial this in better for you. So please take the survey. You can do that as well over at mysuncast.com. I hope that you'll tune in next week and every week thereafter for more inspiring and tactical advice. On Tuesdays, we feature short form episodes, which we call Tactical Tuesdays. Sometimes we do two for Tuesdays, where we introduce subject matter experts in a 20 to 30 minute discussion, really designed to help get you the specific information that at that very moment, at least makes you more interesting in your professional world and your networking conversations. And each Thursday, of course, is a longer form conversation with founders, executives, change makers, and thought leaders in the clean economy. We explore their origin stories, glean their on-the-ground insights and advice, and delve into the personal business and life hacks, all so that you can level up your game and be well-equipped for the journey from apprentice to master. Lastly, if you're a newbie to the industry, I really encourage you to join our free Facebook group, The Energy Guild, to network with hundreds of other clean energy professionals and get access to exclusive live trainings, mentorship, guild-only guides, and more. And you're not the only person in the Energy Guild. There are tons of not newbies, lots of friends of mine who've been in the industry for decades as well. So I hope we'll see you there. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.